Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. know that song that is randy newman singing the iconic i love la number the song of champions for the teams from la that win the title uh and the la rams have done it it's it's been a long time in their very long uh six-year storied history back in los angeles but they've finally done it they've won the title today we're going to talk to pablo Torre of espn who was at the game and arif Hassan of the athletic to focus on the excitement, the uh, in-person vibe and energy around the stadium, and some of the broader uh, echoes and reverberations involved with hosting a Super Bowl in a major metropolitan area. But before we get there, um, Renee, how was your Super Bowl Sunday? What did you do? How was it? I loved it. I Well, first of all, I get really excited when I can watch sporting events at home and yes. just be chill and not working them. So a lot of times, like athletes, <laughs> we don't normally get holidays. Sporting events are usually the days that we work. So as a player, we were working during holidays. And then when you become an analyst of sports, you still work during the holidays. So I, I get like extremely excited when I get to do nothing. And that's exactly what I did with a group of my family. And when I tell you this group, not very sportsy. Most of them were there for the Super Bowl halftime show and the commercials. So we did a little commercial rating game where every single commercial that wasn't a promo for a show, movie, or streaming platform, we just gave it a rating on how much we liked it, how much we enjoyed it. The game was dope too, but that was really fun just to see. Like we were waiting on pins and needles, and it is confirmed that the best commercials come on during the halftime show. No shocker there. Do you have a? Give me your top three. Oh man, the top three. So I love the NFL's commercial with all the little footballers on there that yeah, came that was out fun. of the screen. You're gonna start to see a theme with me, but I don't think that it's biased. I liked all the ones that had athletes in them, but I think those were the ones that were the best produced. Like I said, the NFL one with the footballers coming out of the screen as little cartoons was amazing. Michelob Ultra killed it. They had a Manning brother in there. I don't know which one. They had Serena Williams. <laughs> they had Neka Agumake. They like, came with it. So I like ones that have the plot, they have the graphics, and they have all of that. That's what we like. The yin and the yang of the 21st century we had the electric cars, a lot of electric cars, letting you know, hey, we're here. Electric cars are here. You want that? You've been waiting for that truck, <laughs> full electric pickup truck. It's here. It's coming. But also crypto. So it's like you've got the two sides. You've got the on the one hand, you've got the currency that, uh, you know, I, is damaging the the environment with uh, with it being mined by you know, uh, computer rigs across the globe that are, is gobbling up electricity. And then you have 
uh, we're saving the planet with the electric car. It was wild to watch that yin and yang. Those were my two, uh, just the things that I took away. It was like, man, there's so much crypto. So much crypto and Coinbase had the little QR code that bounced around the screen. I think that they won the award for best marketing because I can only imagine how many website hits they had by people that are like, what is this QR code? What is this advertising? That's we literally didn't scan it for the first like 10 seconds. And then we were like, (laughs) oh, this is all of the commercials. So they probably had an unreal amount of website hits. I thought Austin Powers return was great and the cable guy was great. But yeah, I, I loved it. Like, I loved it. What about you? How did you watch? What did you enjoy the most? Well, I thought about going um, to some Super Bowl parties um, with friends, but then I got scared off by the, you know, the traffic apocalypse reports that had been kind of brewing over the course of the week. You know, listen, L.A. is renowned for its traffic. The traffic is crazy. I'm, I'm not telling you anything from Atlanta. You have similar issues. But, you know, L.A. traffic is like it doesn't matter what time of day it is or what's going on. There just will be a random traffic jam. That's very bad. So I wanted to stay away from that. So I was like, all right, I'll just stay home. And it's a work. You know, we're working. We have the podcast uh, today. (laughs) And I figured I'm not going to be able to pay attention to anything if I go to someplace. So I just sat on the couch and I watched the game. And it was actually really relaxing and fun. I enjoyed it. I had a great time. I Are you like, like a Super chips. Bowler though? Do you like every year? I love or the is Super it... Bowl, man. Yeah, I love it. It's fun. It's whether, even if it's, listen, I'm a Giants fan, so we've not been involved. <laughs> uh, Falcons for, reporting you know, here. No sympathy yeah. from the Falcons crew. Yeah, I'm but, just saying. Well, you guys have been, you guys have been involved, but <laughs> not in a great way. And then, so, you know, it's just fun to, you know, hang out with friends, watch a game. There's always something to talk about. Uh, I, I'm not a big gambling guy, but sometimes it's fun to, like, do truly degenerate stuff like bet on how long the national anthem is going to be. Prop bets. <laughs> it's all about the prop bets. Like, how long did 50 Cent hang upside down? It's like questions that we need answers to. I was worried about him. We were concerned. Like, so, yeah. concerned. The prop bets are probably the top bets. What's the first song that's going to be played? Who's the first touchdown? Shouts to OBJ, man, for getting a touchdown before he got injured. Just his whole season, everything he's been through. I was so happy that for he real. got to So many redemption stories on the on the Rams, which I, I was pulling for the Rams. So many redemption stories. I love you know, like Joy Burrow. Joe Burr is he's fun. He's not going anywhere. No. But like let's let let's let Aaron Donald and the and the guys get one. Not mad at it. A historic moment in take line history as 40% of Filipinos in sports media <laughs> are appearing on this podcast now that Pablo Torre host of the excellent ESPN Daily and an Around the Horn NPTI contributor, joins us. He is my mom's favorite Filipino sports personality, Philam sports personality, and he's here to help us take a look at the Super Bowl, what it was like in uh, the SoFi spaceship. Uh, Can you dive into the lake outside SoFi without getting arrested? We're going to find out all of that and more. Pablo, welcome to Take Line. Thank you, Renee. Jason told me this in person that I'm his mom's favorite <laughs> Filipino American <laughs> sports media personality, and I did not believe him then. Over time, I've I've gaslit myself into believing that that's actually a fact. 
So it's honor Listen, to go Listen, I wouldn't put it past Mama Concepcion. We know that she already she has Tiger Woods. We know that yeah, Jason keeps moving down the totem pole. I keep I keep asking her to come visit me in LA. I mean, you're gonna come, right? And then she's like, Yeah, um, I'm going to Carmel this summer. Okay, and then you're gonna come down to LA. Yeah, I think I'm gonna uh, I'm going over to San Francisco a little bit, and then you come down to LA. <laughs> what? She just. <laughs> so there's that. As, some, as someone who spent a day of my week in LA going whale watching, leaving Los Angeles to go commune with nature in the way that your mom may be interested in. If she goes to the Carmel area, Big Sur adjacent, I, I'm, I'm with it, man. Her favorite spot in LA is Catalina. That is what, that is her, t- she loves Catalina. Mm. <laughs> Just love to uh, take a boat out there and, yeah. you know, be in the presence of some nice wine. I get it. Uh, Pablo, what is it, wh- what was the vibe like in, uh, for you in the, in, the, in the beautiful SoFi Stadium and, and takeaways, initial takeaways from the Super Bowl? So I want to be 100% journalistically transparent with you guys because I am a journalist. I left before the game. So this is what wow. I did. I'm a ve- and you know what? I'm going to throw some people out there because you may think, wait a minute, I no longer want to listen to this guy because he's not actually <laughs> in the building. That is not true. That is not true. You should listen to me even more now because I'm a veteran. I ran into Adam Schefter over the week and I was like, hey man, uh, what's your plan? And he's like, I'm going to watch the Super Bowl on an airplane. I'm getting out before the game starts. Nobody <laughs> stays around. Wow. You're a chump if you stay around. You gotta. I, I went to the Super Bowl in Atlanta when the Rams lost to the Patriots 13-3. Yep. Shout out to Atlanta, Renee. Yes, absolutely. Loved it, except for the fact that I was at the game. The game sucked. And I was like, oh, I miss commercials now. Oh, and so, yes. And yes. I need to inject all of these crypto commercials That's into right. my eyeballs. <laughs> And I couldn't do that if I was at the game. But what I did do was spend the whole week there talking to people who were going to the game, doing stuff around the game itself. And what I can tell you, and this was borne out by the broadcast, is how comical it is, Jason. And you surely know this, that like this was a Bengals dominated building, except for all of the luxury suites, wherein like, I don't know, the most followed people on social media were all like uh, hobnobbing. Yeah. I mean, I was down in I was down in Manhattan Beach on Saturday just hanging out. And it was a parade of who days. What? Who day, who day, who day, who day, everywhere. Who day, just yelling across the street at each other, who day? Yes, which was jarring for uh, for, uh, Hootie, or or, as he is otherwise known by his real name. Very confusing. (laughs) Um, Darius Rucker was like, oh no, this is just, this is a different thing. But he was around, apparently. So you mean to tell me that it wasn't so much a home court advantage as people. Listen, on the outside end, I'm shocked. I'm legit sitting right Renee. here. Shocked. You are, Jason, I feel like there's a real, like, you come from a sports town. Um, Atlanta, like, has a different relationship than I feel like LA does with its teams. Yeah, you know, LA is a interesting pro football market in that there's been so much upheaval and moving around and leaving and returning and coming back and threatening to leave that really the, the, the football culture here is all about USC and UCLA, you know, like, and so you could, <laughs> it's been a joke about like how excited the fan base here is about the Rams being in the Super Bowl. But I, I think the, the perfect measure of exactly how excited LA was about the Rams was when the fireworks went off, it was very brief. 
after the win. It was like three or four explosions and that's it. <laughs> you know, when, we actually like, talked about how quiet it was in the stadium in general. So this is very, very interesting to me. I'm also curious since you since you say that, how do you think that the Houday fans paid for this? Like, has anybody seen the prices of these tickets? I, I thought that it had to be LA people because aren't y'all the ones that know how to make a lot of money from nothing, even if you don't have it and spend it? Yeah, I feel like the Cincinnati grift is less developed than the LA grift, where I don't know if in Cincinnati, there are lots of people with projects in development. I don't know if that's necessarily a thing they get along the Rust Belt. What, what I will point out, though, Jason, also, is that Cincinnati, before the game was played, said, we're not having school on Monday. Yeah, we're not having school that. the day after school. So I just feel like there's a lot of all in. People talk about the Rams going all in. Just the municipal infrastructure of Cincinnati <laughs> was basically counting on this going well for them. And I feel like it's probably pretty bad right now. Let's talk about that all in because the Rams notably went all in uh, with a variety of moves um, headlined uh, by the acquisition of Matthew Stafford. Um, one thing that's it's been notable in sports in general over the last few years is uh, the amount of copycatting going on within teams uh, talking about strategy for team building and also when they're in the position to win and potentially maximize a window. You're yes. seeing a lot of like uh, tanking is a thing that happens across sports now. And just like in the NBA with the building of super teams, when a team feels they're close in the NFL, they will mortgage everything to try and win it that year or the next. Um, is that something you're seeing too, Pablo? Yeah, I'm fascinated by how the NFL and its copycat leagueness, and I feel like a copycat by using the phrase copycat league because it is a cliche, but also accurate. Um, everyone's cheating off each other's homework, honestly. Um, but the thing about what the Rams did was on the one hand, yes, they absolutely did what has been reported. They basically took the global warming approach to building a football team. You future generations deal with this, right? The problems right. in the Wow. Country, <laughs> I didn't know where you were going the with right that. Players. Yes, no, there is the, the oceans are gonna rise and yes. the Rams will have a reckoning. But right now, they all loaded into like, I don't know, they're giant Hummer and said, we're, we're winning a Super Bowl. And that much is true. They went all in in ways that we rarely see in terms of just sending away first round picks, selling the future to buy pleasure, maximum pleasure in the present. On the other hand, though, watching the game, watching the Super Bowl, what was so funny about it is that like the guy who should have won MVP, if I can just start spouting oh, I love takes this. here. I love it. <laughs> it's not Cooper Cup, although Cooper Cup had one of the greatest seasons by wide receiver we've ever seen. It's Aaron Donald. It's the guy who might be the best at his position that we've ever seen, certainly of that body type. And what's funny about that is that Aaron Donald was himself a first round pick, right? A guy who supposedly this whole plan of sell away all your first rounders defies. And also he was drafted by the previous regime. And I love nothing more than a new fancy operation getting credit for what the last guys did who were ousted <laughs> and then reframing all of this as, look at us, we're zagging while everyone else is zigging. And meanwhile, here's Aaron Donald being like, I'm doing all of this work and no one is calling me the future of team building. Interesting that you bring him up because there's been a lot of talk swirling around about, is he going to retire? Is he not? Potentially, again, he doesn't have... In this is a weird statement, but there isn't anything else that he has to prove or achieve 
So there's not really much to bring him back other than to just start stacking the rings. But he was very adamant about showing people he just needs a ring. He wasn't tapping multiple fingers. He was tapping one. Like, I just need a ring. So is there any, do you have any possible, like any news, any insight about the seriousness to take about him maybe not coming back next year? So I consult like smart people like Bill Barnwell for all of like the substance of these football questions you're asking me. What I bring you though personally is insanely irresponsible psychoanalysis. <laughs> and watching <laughs> just watching Aaron Donald post-game get asked immediately about these plans to retire and his response is, I just want to live in the present. I want to celebrate now. I don't want to deal with those questions. All lead me to think, oh, he's gone. Like he is not gonna be back playing football again, which is wild at age 30. Right. And that's the other part of this whole Super Bowl, which I found unique beyond like, how did the Rams build their team? It's the fact that everything like leading up to this game ended up being about like key, super important people suddenly retiring after it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like Aaron, Aaron Weddle, Donald was out. Sean McVay. Eric Weddle. Well, Sean McVay Andrew is coming Woodward. back, actually. Yeah. Well, Sean McVay is coming back, but we should talk about Sean McVay because that dude, a master strategist boy genius, who honestly in this game, another hot take, like was just running Cam Akers into a wall repeatedly yeah. for reasons that were just mystifying. I, I, that's something I'd love to talk about. So Sean McVay, in, in a lot of ways, embodies like the ultimate victory of analytics and quant shit you know to become a coach at age 30 a boy looks, genius it's like it's like an instagram fitness influencer somehow <laughs> like became like an nfl head coach and is you know has the brand of like smartest guy in the room he will go where the numbers takes him he will take big swings um what what, what was was there like some kind of like grander strategy to so, the running so, game? So, like what? So, so I asked this question almost exactly like, because I had the same thing of like, wait a minute, why is this quantitatively minded genius doing something that seems very stupid? And what Bill Barnwell pointed out, because I was like, oh, certainly I'm not getting something about this. What Bill told me and he explained was just like, oh, this is just kind of like when a nerd fails a test on purpose to prove he has credibility with jocks. And I'm like, oh, what? if that was actually, if that's actually what happened, that makes a lot more sense. I think the reality of it is somewhere between that and the fact that he has this like delusional commitment to the principle of running the ball. And he just wants to be that guy. He wants to be run the ball guy, even though like his right. genius would lead you to believe via branding that he has far more creative ideas. But the thing about the branding is what I find so funny about this, because this guy who is a master strategist allegedly takes the opportunity to take you know, the platform at America's most watched cultural event. And he's basically like, I might not do this for a while longer. Like, I might be done. And people Yeah, I might like, go to TV. What? I'm good looking. <laughs> so, so, but the TV, Instagram influencer stuff, like, I'm sure you guys, Renee, you're now doing like media full time and all, I mean, doing a million things, but like media is such a huge part of what you do. There is this insane and hilarious obsession and appreciation that like, Billionaire owners, let alone GMs, have for people on their TV. Maybe you've heard about this subplot in something called <laughs> yeah, American right. politics at some point. <laughs> yeah. But but the fact is, you go on ESPN or wherever, and you become a suit, and suddenly, like, it's, to borrow a Star Wars thing, it's like the back to tank. Like, you can rehab whatever you want. Like, you are suddenly a guy with authority and credibility, even if you just did something terrible. Like, it's crazy how often that way station seems to produce hires just because you're on television, which again, full disclosure, like, 
I don't know. A lot of people are on television, guys. You're really that impressed <laughs> yeah. by it at this point. You know, it's funny because you talked about culture and television and the halftime show is something that I am especially interested in year in and year out. This year was about as Hollywood as it can get in a sense of star studded, not just even the show, but the people that came to see the show. You weren't there in person. I was going to ask you what it was like there live, but you just let us know that you left. But what was your biggest takeaway from the performance? And do you know how long they held 50 Cent upside down? I just want to know. Like, do you know? Yes. So my first take on the halftime show is how mad I would have been if I was in person. Because you saw how they did it. Yeah. Like, there was something. I don't know if I would have seen an upside down 50 cent reenacting <laughs> the Spider-Man kiss scene with no one. You're no like I, I would have been mad, but then I did because I'm a journalist again. I sought out like the video from the crowd cam and found that like they basically had him jerry-rigged so that as soon as Dre and Snoop finished right on top on that roof of this like house set that they had built, he 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 came down. So as much as I would have liked to think that 50 Cent was there, like truly, I don't know, doing crunches for a long ass time. It's even sadder, the reality. It's just like, oh no. you net? Okay. Is he, I mean, how did you guys feel about 50 in that? Because I intuitively was concerned. I was, no, I was truly concerned. I was truly concerned. It's one thing to hang upside down for that long. It's another thing to rap, to have to use your lungs in a way that sounds confident and strong, I'm not sure that like I'd be able to generate the power uh, necessary. And he managed to do it. And then there's listen, there's uh, you could pop a blood vessel. Like I sound like an old uh, like my grandma now, but I feel like you could get injured like this. Uh, it was definitely a. Can we just not impressive. have him in the house? That Can was he just like come out, just have him somewhere else in the house. Like he comes out of the basement or something. Like he didn't need to do this. It's an old throwback. You know, he wore the G unit tank. He went all in. I, that's what I well, love have the him, most. They went have all him in. on a have him on a treadmill. Like open another part of the house, mm. and there's the treadmill from the from the video. And he's got the oxygen mask. He doesn't need to be okay. hanging upside down. This is just. I'm just pitching stuff. It's too late now. I'm just saying. It's too late. I, I, I do love that there is a music video scene that we could have borrowed from, in which a literal oxygen tank was actually part of the plot. <laughs> Like it's a giant oversight. Yeah, they picked the wrong, the wrong version. Dramatic effect. We're talking about it. Have y'all missed the whole point in marketing here? We might not have been talking about it right now if it was just so a true. treadmill. That's very true. Uh, finally, Pablo, uh, it's been a a wild season in the NFL, and I think uh, especially a wild last several weeks. The postseason, from a purely from the standpoint of the games, has arguably been the best ever. The yes. greatest. This is as good as it's ever been in the NFL. Uh, but there are also any number of other issues, such as the paucity of black coaches in the NFL, uh, John Gruden stepping down, et cetera, the Washington football team slash commanders ongoing lawsuit, the various other things. Um, how would you – What what is your takeaway from the NFL season to me, this NFL season just proved how unstoppable the NFL is. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I wish. And by the way, like, you know, the whole it's funny. At some point, there was like a brief, very brief concussion subplot 
where it was like, oh, do we care about this again? Oh, no, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. Um, and, and that seemed to be the existential threat to the league, to the business. It seemed at one point like domestic violence scandals would also disrupt the business. Certainly kneeling, the anthem stuff, politics, quote unquote, invading sports was supposed to threaten the business by virtue of going woke and going, going broke. broke. <laughs> Unfortunately, all parties involved have to basically admit, like, you can't stop this thing. I mean, we live in such a deeply fractured media economy. No one watches anything together anymore. No one watches the same stuff at all, um, with very few exceptions. And the NFL is the number one exception that proves the rule. I mean, it's more popular than ever. I expect it will be forever. Um, I think there's something about the fact that, yes, the postseason was a clinic, honestly, yeah. in just how when incompetence happens, it's still incredible entertainment in professional football. Like some of these games were both brilliantly played. Other ones, like the Cowboys-Niners game, I think of, for instance, just like total mismanagement of, of, of resources <laughs> and time. And somehow, because it's close, it, it, it is admittedly awesome. And if that's the game, if that is the grift the NFL has going, even when we're bad, we're even better. I just don't know how you bet against the thing that sits astride our entire culture at this point. His name is Pablo, but if you're Mama Concepcion, his name is my favorite. <laughs> He's the host of ESPN Daily and Around the Horn and PTI contributor. Pablo, thank you so much for joining us on Take Line. I'm a fan of both you guys. Thank you and salamat to Jason's mom. Yeah. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Joining the show now is Arif Hassan, Minnesota Vikings beat reporter with The Athletic, to help unpack his recent piece titled, quote, with the 2022 Super Bowl in town, LA attempts to shine up its homeless crisis. They're just putting a Band-Aid on something that needs stitches, end quote. There's a lot to discuss here. We're thrilled to have you on. Arif, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So in your piece, you talk about L.A.'s street sweeps, which essentially force unhoused people to relocate in an effort to clean up. And I'm going to put air quotes around clean up the city. Um, how are those sweeps actually defined and what makes them legal versus illegal? Yeah, so there's there's two categories of sweeps, actually, um, at least in uh, Ninth Circuit jurisprudence. It gets kind of like into the weeds really quickly. But in Los Angeles, um, they've conducted two types of sweeps. One is temporary designed to 
uh, literally clean things up, which is to displace people for, in theory, six to eight hours, often much longer, uh, and clean the sidewalks, clean up any trash that's been gathered and so on. And then um, people are, you know, quote unquote, allowed to return back to where they live. Um, and those are the temporary sweeps. And that's where most of the sweeps that are being conducted in California um, are are done under under that kind of definition of a sweep. And then there's a permanent sweep, which, um, as you can tell from the name, uh, is designed to eliminate uh, any presence of unhoused people in the area, uh, at least from a permanent standpoint, things like encampments and stuff like that. And so um, at that point, they require them to, to move off. And so there's two different kinds of um, law that, that surround those two kinds of sweeps. And they, they try to make it very clear which type of sweep they're performing so that they make it obvious under which um, set of laws the sweep that they're conducting falls under. Although um, there's kind of there's practice and then there's reality um, or sorry, there's theory and then there's practice. And, and the reality is that um, very often they will use uh, these temporary sweeps as a means of kind of signaling that they don't want anybody there and they'll continue harassing them um, until they kind of move off. But, you know, they get to call that kind of voluntary removal. And so they don't have to follow the jurisprudence of a, of a permanent sweep, which requires a lot more resources from um, the, the government side. Um, let's zoom out for a second. Uh, the There are, at last count, 60 plus thousand uh, people living on the streets of Los Angeles. That number is surely, surely much higher. Um, owing to the fallout from COVID-19 and the various uh, pandemic impacts on the city. Uh, And I I believe the city is not scheduled to count again until later, like not later this year. So post-Super Bowl, we're not even going to have an accurate count of how many people are currently living on the streets. We don't know. Um, What is, we talk about this as like a as if it's a complex issue, really the bottom line is there's just not enough houses. There's not enough, we're not building enough houses, there's not enough housing. What, as you kind of like attempted to explore the intractable nature of this issue, what what were some of the things you were struck by, the takeaways that, you know, that you have from grappling with this? I, I think first that there's there's probably enough places for people to live um, like on a fundamental issue, uh, some of it has to do with pricing. Some of it has to do with kind of the qualifications for housing, um, like having a credit history, for example, that's very difficult for some people to come by. Um, and then also one thing that kind of struck me is that there have been a lot of solutions that have been proposed that a lot of people are very enthusiastic about, including a number of the unhoused people that I talked to that are just not being implemented for one reason or the other. And so there's uh, an element of nimbyism, which for people who are unfamiliar is not in my backyard. So uh, there's a lot of funding that's being devoted to providing services and providing shelter um, for people without permanent homes, um, but they need to build it. And, and nobody wants, you know, their, a shelter nearby. And very often they'll phrase it in, you know, this would actually not be a very good community for them. It would, you know, this, right. this, this yeah, would, right, right. you know, this would yeah. be dangerous for them. And it's like, well, I mean, you live here. I don't like, what are you talking about? But uh, this is... It's uh, it, there's there's a lot of like neighborhood level politics that prevent a lot of the initiatives from going forward, and then there's you know new initiatives to build kind of tiny homes, which 
Um, if you watch like tiny homes on YouTube and stuff like that, personally, I watch it on HGTV. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, I, I don't, those don't look like uh, remarkable places for me to live, but, uh, in terms of, you know, finding permanent housing and, you know, getting access to stuff like, you know, sewage, right. And, and, uh, and, and trash cleanup and, and city services, they actually provide a lot. And also the tiny homes that are provided on HGTV, you know, run $200,000. Uh, whereas, whereas the ones that are being proposed here, um, there's like a pilot project, um, out in the outskirts of LA that was really successful. Those are obviously much cheaper yeah. um, as you would expect a smaller house to be. So there's a lot of solutions out there that need to be implemented that aren't. So that's kind of one thing that struck me. And another thing that struck me, I think, is just humanity, right? Like, it's just, it's so easy to talk to so many people that are being impacted by by these sweeps and so many people choose not to, right? Um, these are people that, uh, you know, almost everyone I talk to um, wants permanent housing. I think when I published the piece, I saw a lot of comments saying, hey, I worked in a homeless shelter. And, you know, a lot of these people don't want homes. And it's just like, well, I, I don't know, maybe you're remembering one or two big stories. But, you know, I talked to a bunch of, I talked to a lot of people and they, they certainly want a place to live. This is important to them. They also want community and, and kind of a lot of the solutions that are proposed do not find ways to allow them to keep connections with, with the community that they've built for themselves, which is important in a lot of ways for both safety and mental health reasons. Um, you know, just as, just as you and I want community, just as we always want to be in contact with our friends and family, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, and so, you know, a, a lot of this just comes down to like, if you, if you're reflective on yourself, if you find yourself in a situation where you don't have a permanent home, you know, what would you want? Well, it's, it's, it shouldn't be shocking that that's exactly what they want. And, and, you know, these are people that have a lot of the, the, not that this should be an important determinant of whether or not someone deserves fundamental human rights, but I think people would be surprised to find that they have a lot of the same skill sets that you and I have. In fact, a, a lot of the people I talk to have more important skill sets than me. I mean, I'm just a writer. You know, these are people that have the ability to uh, produce really wonderful music. I was able to listen to some really wonderful music and also, you know, computer programs and construction workers and, you know, people that have really solid foundational skills for, for how a society should operate. With the Olympics coming to L.A. in 2028, I'm curious in what ways did hosting the Super Bowl set a precedent for how L.A. is going to handle hosting major sporting events? And will that change the league's consideration for national events? Is that any type of discussion there? Yeah, I actually, one of the groups I talked to was No Olympics LA um, 28. You know, the, one of the reasons that they were focusing on, you know, what was happening to the unhoused population in Los Angeles in preparation for the Super Bowl is because they saw this as a bit of a dry run for, um, you know, what the, I, I, the county really of Los Angeles and all of its various municipalities inside um, might do in preparation for, uh, you know, the Olympics or for, you know, World Cup events or other events that might be held, um, you know, in, in the greater Los Angeles area. Um, a lot of people uh, kind of evaluate this, including a lot of the unhoused people I talked to, see this as kind of a dry run for, for what might happen when the Olympics come. Uh, and, and so I, I think that from the perspective of the people performing the sweeps, which in, in the case of the individual sweeps that I was covering was performed by the California Department of Transportation, often called Caltrans, um, I think they thought of that as a success. Now, in terms of like the human costs of those sweeps, you know, obviously an enormous failure, but, you know, it kind of depends on what your perspective is and what your goals are. And their goals are to provide a, a shinier view of what Los Angeles looks like um, to tourists and to cameras and whatever. And from that perspective, I, to them, it would be a success. And so I think that the tools that they that they picked up on for this um, are going to be tools that they employ 
for, uh, you know, things like, you know, the Olympics and other events that will be held in Los Angeles? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, just to kind of uh, draw a line under it, uh, this is an intractable problem that has been going on for decades. There's been a consistent and relatively stable unhoused population uh, in downtown L.A. for almost 100 years now. Mm -hmm. um, the the issues and the obstacles uh, that are keeping the solutions from moving down the track are essentially the same as they have been for decades. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not going anywhere. Lots of people have put forward solutions. Nothing happens. Uh, the federal government has put up money uh, to help Los Angeles house some of its unhoused population in hotels mm -hmm. using different solutions. The city has not taken the money. There's that money is, I guess, sitting in a in a bank account somewhere, among many other uh, things that would lead a person to believe that maybe the L.A. city government is not like really trying that hard to figure out a solution to this. And out of the sky comes a solution essentially have these big events it's a win-win for everybody right it's uh, it burnishes the uh, the image of los angeles on the international stage it boosts the economy at least a certain kind of economy and uh you know under the cover of all of this you can you know very quietly or at least moderately quietly uh, sweep away the unhoused population without too much um hustle and bustle from anyone uh i think that personally that sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it also appears to be what is happening. I think that there is some element of this, right? Like, I, I don't think that you're completely off track. Um, and I think kind of to bolster that case, Los Angeles has been fighting with the various other municipalities that comprise the greater Los Angeles area. You know, cities like Culver City, for example, um, that, that are like part of Los Angeles, but have their own set of laws and police and so on um, about, you know, whether or not to enforce particular um, laws because the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled that you cannot engage in a permanent sweep without immediately providing alternative housing options for uh, any of the unhoused people that you're, you know, destroying the encampments of. Uh, and Los Angeles, the city, is abiding by it, but a lot of the areas around it, like, for example, the Super Bowl was held in Inglewood, technically, and not Los Angeles. Um, and Culver City, for example, has been a, a big um, I guess I would say violator of of this particular principle. Los Angeles has been fighting, saying that they're not actually upholding the court ruling, uh, which is why there are so many um, encampments inside uh, the the city of Los Angeles. But at the same time, Los Angeles is not like doing. They're they're just trying not to get sued. They actually uh, passed a new law making it easier for them to sweep up encampments on a permanent basis. They 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 get to de like every city council member gets to designate particular areas within their within their ward or district um, that it, you know, encampments can't be set up. And so it actually concentrates a lot of these um, encampments in areas that are less visible and you can start forcing people into those encampments again when you hold these big events. And so I think these big events allow Los Angeles um, to kind of get around this fight that they're having with a bunch of the other kind of areas around Los Angeles, the cities around Los Angeles, by engaging in these temporary sweeps with kind of a wink nudge understanding that actually, you know, even though these are held under kind of the legal jurisdiction of a temporary sweep, these are actually kind of permanent. We want you to kind of move out. And it concentrates these encampments. And, you know, the concentration of encampments is itself this enormous problem because it increases, um, you know, violations of, of, of personal autonomy. Um, you know, crimes are committed in, in higher density 
density population areas uh, for encampments. You know, the social tensions rise, new people are coming in. That I was talking about that sense of community that gets disrupted when you concentrate encampments. It increases the number of fires um, that occur in encampments. Um, I mean, every sweep usually results uh, probably inadvertently, um, but uh, certainly indirectly in deaths. Like it, it is, it is a a fundamental human issue when you move someone away from an area where they've been living for the for the past couple of years, no matter how abhorrent those living conditions look to you, if you destroy it, you're not doing them a favor. There's a reason that they were set up there. And so people's property gets destroyed in a way that, that, that severely impacts their ability to get a job, things like government identification. Uh, their survival property gets destroyed, things like those tents that I was talking about, which you know uh, shield them from shelter. His sleeping bags are remarkably important. Uh, and you know their immune systems are shot because they don't have uh, the nutrition and their stress levels are really high and all of the other things that impact your immune system. And so the incidence of, of disease are up. Uh, through no fault of their own, right? Just because of the way that they're being forced to live. And as you increase density, all of these problems kind of mount on themselves. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it very much from the 10,000 foot view, if you're like the mayor of Los Angeles, you would love kind of more events to come in. And what's really interesting, you know, if you kind of track a lot of um, how these events are are pitched and run. The the person, the head of the, the chair of the Super Bowl committee, Casey Wasserman, was also uh, the chair yeah, of the guy. Los Angeles Olympics. Yeah. yeah, the Los Angeles Olympics committee, who also has his name on, I think, the UCLA athletics training facility, the Wasserman training facility. And so, I mean, he's a huge sports guy. I mean, he used to own like a, an arena football league team and he's a very into it. And so, you know, his thing is entertainment, but he's been asked pretty directly about the contributions of the homelessness crisis and he's um, deflected every time. And so there's some element, I think, where, where this allows them to get around um, looking like that they're not paying attention to um, the the court ruling surrounding how you can treat unhoused people. Um, but there's also just an element of, yeah, I love having sports in my city and I don't really care about the consequences of that. I'm curious your thoughts on cities getting the bid to have these big events. Like, for instance, the small markets, as we know, in leagues like the NBA and any league, it's hard for small markets to thrive because – Free agents are going to gravitate towards L.A., New York, the sexy cities, Miami, shouts to Atlanta. Y'all better come on over here, too. But <laughs> the, the, the free agents don't necessarily gravitate towards there. The attractions don't necessarily gravitate towards there. Is there a world where it would make sense that a, like a city of L.A. not get such big events? Or is that a conversation had at all about where these events are going? Because we talk about it. the Super Bowl is this year in L.A. 2028 is the Olympics in L.A., all-Stars in Cleveland for the NBA, and I feel like that could be huge for the city. So is there a conversation about what cities get the biz or not? I mean, there's always kind of a conversation about uh, about what are the criteria by which to award these bids. Um, and, and to some degree, they pay a lot of lip service to things like um, social impact and, and kind of um, their social responsibility. But at the end of the day, I, I don't think that they paid that much attention unless it becomes egregious. Like I think famously when, um, you know, the NCAA pulled out of North Carolina because of the trans bathroom bill or the NFL pulled out of Arizona because of the refusal to recognize Martin Luther King Jr. the, the holiday. Um, you know, th those are, are kind of big and those are really important events. But I think that the NFL kind of knew that they were going to win that fight. Um, and so which is why they were willing to do it. Um, I think when it comes to kind of these social problems that are not kind of in the mainstream uh, and, and by in the mainstream, you know, I don't, I don't mean that there's like this overwhelming groundswell of support for trans people in the public. That's certainly not the case, but certainly that's been a big talking point. 
Um, I, I think that when it comes to an issue that just becomes under discussed, like, for example, um, you know, homelessness and the unhoused population, it's just it's just not something that that ends up becoming part of any criteria. You know, we saw this when Minneapolis hosted the Super Bowl. They performed a number of, uh, of sweeps of unhoused people, which you know, it's pretty cold in Minneapolis, especially in February. So uh, I that was that was you know, monstrous. And then, of course, that occurred in Atlanta when Atlanta hosted the Super Bowl as well. Come and so, on, Atlanta. <laughs> you got to do better, right? Um, and, and, and I think that, uh, you know, these discussions can be part of it. But I think that um, ultimately, you know, these big events will will choose host locations that either accomplish their goals indirectly. So, for example, Super Bowls are always awarded to cities that fund new stadiums or that new stadiums are built in. You know, you don't necessarily have to fund one, but that's, you know, we all understand that that's part of the process unless you're Jerry Jones, right? Like, I think that uh, if you if you participate in building a new stadium, a Super Bowl is going to head over there. Uh, and that, that takes precedence over any of this other stuff that I mentioned. Or, you know, even a more corrupt organization like FIFA, they have no problem having their stadiums built by slave labor and gutter, right? And so... Uh, you know, these these giant events will go where the where the host cities uh, treat them the best and then they'll pay homage to stuff like tradition. Right. Like they, the World Cup wanted to be in Brazil because of the importance of soccer in Brazil. Um, and, and there were a bunch of infrastructural problems that that, you know, presented problems for running the event. But, you know, for the most part, you know, they they want to accomplish the long term goals of the organization, which is to not pay for stadiums, yes. which is <laughs> which is to have big audiences and, and so on. Uh, well, you know, you can tell a lot about what we value uh, as as a country by the fact that uh, L.A. needs more affordable housing and what we have is a $5 billion stadium with a, like, two-acre lake. Uh, <laughs> um, his name is Arif Hassan, Minnesota Vikings beat reporter with The Athletic, his new, and his new story on homelessness in Los Angeles and the effects of the Super Bowl on that population is out now. It's well worth your time. Arif, thank you for joining Take Line. Yeah, thank you for having me. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Renee, since our last episode, the long-awaited James Harden trade has happened. Uh, ben Simmons goes to... To Brooklyn now, among others, just a few days after uh, Steve Nash said the Nets would not trade him. But Steve Nash, of course, just doing what he had to do in that moment. Yep. Shouts to Steve for being a good soldier. Uh, but let's <laughs> start with Harden and the shot of him on the tarmac with Daryl Morey reuniting, oh uh, looking gosh. like the end of Shawshank Redemption. Uh, <laughs> Renee, what are your thoughts on this trade now that it has occurred? So, first of all, my thoughts on the tarmac scene, I just think, <laughs> like... 
media person me and entertainment and being in the entertainment business i just thought they could have done better with that i i think that it looked like harden was looking at us the camera as in like what y'all want and i didn't know yeah. if we should have been watching i just didn't feel like that was the welcome to philly video that they wanted that's the first thing but yeah i don't know for me it's there was a, there was a lot to unpack there especially coming off of Steve Nash saying they would not trade him. And then days later, they traded him. We talked about that right here on this show yeah. that no one should pay any attention None. to what Zero. coaches say during Zero. free agency. You don't have a choice but you to say to what you have to say. Because if a trade falls through, you might think that the trade is 90% done. As a coach, you have to say the right things because if there's that 10% that the, the deal falls through and you got to deal with that player now that they know That's you wanted the to trade them and move them, you can't do that. do that. So I just wanted to unpack that part first. Steve Nash had to say he did what had to be done. I am still curious. I still have the same questions that I had before. Is Ben Simmons going to play right away? You know, you can't really... A lot of people want to see if this was a great trade or not a great trade. People want that instant gratification for trades, and you're really just not going to get it. We haven't seen neither player play, and I don't know what it's going to look like because, look, it sounded all well and good. Brooklyn, when they had their big three, Kyrie, KD, and James Harden, that sounded great. It looked great on paper, and now look. So for me, I don't really know. I got to see all this play out because people – really, really, really underestimate team chemistry. Like, I think if nothing else has been learned from all these different moves and everything going on lately in sports, you can never underestimate what chemistry means to a team. What was your thoughts, though, on all of this going well, on? Well, I mean, you know, that's a good point because that has kind of been the criticism of Daryl Morey and certainly of team building in the analytics era, where it's just been about... Get me the best, get me two superstars, maybe three, and we'll figure out the rest. You know, in the post-Miami Heat, Heatles era, it's just get get those guys and then you'll figure it out with a bunch of guys, you know, off of the buyout list or at vets minimums. You can, you can make it work. That said, I, man, my initial thought is barring Harden – not being fully fit and healthy, barring Ben Simmons not being fully fit and healthy. This is one of those really, really rare trades in that one, you're seeing like MVP level, all-star level players switch places in the middle of a season. And it's contenders trading to each other, rivals in the same conference trading to each other. That doesn't happen. You, you rarely, rarely, rarely see that. And what makes it even crazier is, like, on paper, this this deal helps both teams. Like, like Seth Curry for the Nets, that's huge. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, I, having that's another the one. Leader, I don't get that. That is a big – that's a big piece for them uh, to take some, some, some scoring pressure off of Kyrie and KD when yeah, he comes back. Yeah, I don't back. get why get Philly that gave that away. Doc Rivers, your stepson. Like, <laughs> they had to your, do it. Your yeah, son-in-law. I, mean, I mean, it's interesting. I know they had to do it, but it was like, did you have to do it? So that plus Ben Simmons in a place where he's he, they're not asking him to shoot. They're not asking him to score. He can pick and choose because he's going to have all these score No, but I mean, did Philly have to oh. do that? We know that I think Brooklyn he had to. wanted it. I, of course, I think he, Listen, Daryl Morey, that. everything we know about Daryl Morey is he wants to win every trade. So I think 
and he is, you have to like pry assets from his like grasp. So the fact that they had to do this, and there's been reporting that has come out since uh, both at ESPN, uh, at Bleach Report, and at The Athletic that have said basically that the Nets were like, okay, quit pussyfooting around. You put Seth in this and we'll do it. And so mm, they had so to do Seth it. Seth was the game changer. Yeah, and so I think, uh, so from that per- from the Brooklyn perspective, it's a win. And then uh, from Philly's perspective, you get Ben Simmons out of town, which they've, I'm right now, I have Twitter open, and I'm watching the Philadelphia 76ers Twitter account. And it is like, a fucking party out there. They are <laughs> tweeting pictures of of Harden at practice. Everybody's smiling. It is like an absolute. It, it, the vibe is clearly a celebration, a house cleaning. Look what we have now. So they're extremely happy over there. And I think from a basketball perspective, there are some questions about fit and Harden. You know the where he the way he likes to score doesn't necessarily mesh with the way Joel likes to score. Joel likes put the ball ball in his hands, you know, just inside the three point line and let him work on his own. Whereas Harden is more of a pick and roll guy, and of course that was a point of contention with him and Dwight earlier and in his Houston career. All that aside, they traded Ben Simmons for James Harden. Yeah, <laughs> like basically, yes. so 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 on paper that's a win. So again, a rare a rare trade that seems to work for for both teams. Uh, it will be fascinating to watch as we go forward. The teams square off in a month. Uh, of course, the Nets are currently in the middle of a of a of a swoon that saw them lose one thirteen one twelve to the Bradley Bealless Wizards. Uh, but I am very very interested to see how this all unfolds. It'll be fascinating to watch. <laughs> All right, so listen, y'all know what time it is. You heard the sound. That means that we didn't get to get it in the show because we ran out of time, but we're going to give it to you right now. That's our buzzer beaters. Jason, what you got for us? (laughs) Well, uh, uh, Tim Bontemps of ESPN and others uh, reported this morning that James Harden is out through the All-Star break. The Sixers' James Harden is out through the All-Star break and will not play in the All-Star No shocker alert! No shocker alert. And I'll just say that this, I don't know how much this is related, but... LeBron and and Kevin Durant clowning James Harden on the TNT All Star like All Star bench guys selection was unbelievable television. Give them fifteen Emmys just oh. for that. <laughs> I could not believe what I was watching, and. It went on for a while. I mean, everybody yeah, no could one see stopped it. it. Nobody <laughs> stopped it. Every you could see it coming. Once they got down to their final couple picks, James Harden still out there. You knew, you knew. And then <laughs> Rudy Gobert and James Harden are left on the on the uh, on the board, and uh, KD has the second to last pick. And he says, well, you know, LeBron, looking at your team, I'm gonna need some size for yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm gonna need some size and. Um... Interior, yeah, yeah, especially with Giannis and LeBron James playing Mm -hmm. such great basketball this year. I need somebody to offset that, so I'm gonna go with uh, Rudy Gobert. I agree, I agree, I agree. That worked out nicely. That worked out nicely. Oh my God, it was really, really funny, and I don't know how much it played into 
James Harden now saying, well, I'm not going to play in the All-Star game then. But uh, I personally believe it was related. Renee, what do you have? I mean, to that point, it felt like a locker room conversation that, you know, I've been in a lot of locker room conversations that are brutally honest. That felt like a locker room conversation that we all were a part of. Charles Barkley got in on it. So, yeah, that was it's tough. That's why you have to have tough skin as an athlete. To your point, I don't know if that's why he didn't show up, but it didn't seem like I wouldn't surprise that he didn't. I mean, I, I was like, man, what if I half expected Katie to say when he said I'm going to need some size? I half expected him to say, well, looking at your team, I'm going to need some size. But we gave up Jared Allen. Uh, for James Harden. Oh, sorry. Anyway, okay. we go back. <laughs> Jason, and look, Kevin Durant had on his GM cap ball. He didn't he did. break a smile. He didn't change his facial expressions, his demeanor. He just, yeah, yeah, we're going to probably need some size looking at your team. But I digress. That was great TV. I love how TV is getting more real. I hope that people's feelings don't always get hurt along the way, but that was a dope moment just to see that on TV. My buzzer beater is we've been talking a lot about Super Bowl. Um, and so our family, we made our own Super Bowl commercial because Woo! I realized that even in our household, there are two, there are different types of ways to Super Bowl. So we made a Super Bowl commercial about how to use Super Bowl. You have the people that are diehard fans that are cheering, going crazy, even just to watch the sport. And then you have the group that I was with that they're just there for the snacks, the commercials, and the halftime performances. So how to use Super Bowl? It's on YouTube. Check it out. It's fun. That's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And do not forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode. Yeah. Plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check it All out, caps. folks. See you next time. Take Line is a Crooked Media production produced by Zuri Irvin and Ryan Wallerson. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. And associate produced by Saul Rubin. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.